Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Crypto Hipsters Podcast, where I interview founders and co-founders, entrepreneurs and artists, executives and stay-at-home hipsters in crypto and blockchain around the world. And I have an amazing podcast for you today. Let's get to it. And today I have an amazing guest, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher her name again, but I'm going to say it the best I can. Uh, her, she is an amazing uh, guest. Her name is Marie Portier Eva, um, and she's coming to us from France, and she's the founder of Decenter. Um, Marie, did how do I do with the name? And, and welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Jamil. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Almost got it. It was really, really close. My name is Marie Potiriaeva. Uh, that's not easy. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm happy to speak about crypto. This is a huge passion for me. So I always like to speak about it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's kick things off then. Um, so let me ask you the first question is, what is your background and is it a logical background for what you're doing now? <laughs> My background is in fashion. <laughs> uh, well, it's as good a, be a background as any for going into crypto because crypto is so new and it is so vast, meaning that there are so many possible use cases in fashion or elsewhere. So me landing into crypto can be logical. I've interviewed fashion um, founders before, so um, I've always been had a good, very good conversation. So um, let's uh, let's ask the first question. You created a, you created a company, or the first I would say from what I saw, maybe one of the first online encyclopedias uh, called Decenter. Uh, could you tell us all about what that is? Yes. Uh, so when I uh, a couple of years ago, I just discovered uh, blockchain and crypto. And like many people, I just fell down the rabbit hole because it's, well, it's amazing. It's, uh, it's a technology that can allow, allow the humanity for the first time ever to bypass a centralized authority and to organize any kind of system without one person who manages it all. So it is no ego, no politics. Uh, it's pure code, pure logic. So this was, this just mesmerized me. So I stopped working in fashion, I quit my job. And I started to uh, read and as, as much as I could. And quite logically, after some time, I had so many things happening in my head that I had to note it down. And this center is uh, basically my mind map, how all crypto related things are arranged in my head. So from very high level notions, like what the blockchain is about, why do we need it? Why was it created? What's the philosophy behind it? To um, narrowing it down to more technical details, like how does it work? What are the use cases, etc., etc. So it started as a mind map to help myself um, keep, in, uh, keep track of my knowledge. And then, well, uh, 
when you have some knowledge, you just need to share it because it's more fun this way. So now it is a, a crypto encyclopedia. So there is a part, uh, this most static part of uh, crypto education. And there's the analysis, uh, daily analysis of crypto events and uh, a little bit more uh, profound weekly analysis of crypto events that we do uh, in order to keep track on all the uh, amazing things that happen right now in the space. But this is only the first part of the center. I can tell you more about it uh, later, but uh, that's the first zone. Great. Well, learning about crypto all starts with with reading, reading news, reading uh, reading things, and uh, you know, and then analyzing the underlying assumptions, right? Um, so, what approach? First of all, I want to find out what approach do you take while analyzing all the the fud or the truth that's out there to make determinations and decisions to provide information accurately. The approach is to dig deep, <laughs> if you want to put a name on it. Um, many people, and unfortunately, many journalists working for uh, renowned uh, newspapers, they don't bother digging. And, and this is unfortunate, to say at least. And uh, before I started writing about crypto, I spent two years <laughs> reading about it and about all related areas. Because in order to understand what crypto can really do for the financial system, you have to understand the financial system. So I also I upgraded my knowledge of the macroeconomy and things like this and uh, how the uh, tech works. Uh, how the platforms work, how the economy or how the finance work. So uh, th this is a lot of knowledge. And uh, well, when I analyze things, I, I tend to go really deep and to, to analyze, to, to get as much data as I can. Great. So in your, in your opinion, why do we need blockchain and why do certain countries need it maybe more than others? We need the blockchain because it can free us from trust that we are uh, obliged to have versus our uh, towards our authorities. Right now, I am living in Europe, so I'm kind of obliged to use euros. So I'm obliged to trust two organizations: the central bank, which issues these euros and my bank, the commercial bank, which manages my account. Which means that I have to trust them that my commercial bank doesn't do anything with my account and that the central bank will manage the money supply reasonably. And um, I don't trust them. <laughs> Maybe it's because of my background, because uh, I'm originally Ukrainian. I have been naturalized French uh, recently. So I spent basically half of my uh, conscious life in Ukraine and half of my conscious life in France. And I still got that, you know, Ukrainian uh, perception of things 
which means that you never know when things can go south. So uh, you never know when the your bank account can be shut down without no one telling you. You never know when, I don't know, the inflation hits 10,000% like the after Soviet uh, Union collapse. So you, you always have to be careful. And this is something that people in the developed world have uh, somewhat forgotten. And if you take a look at the world map and at the statistics, you have 13% who live in the European Union, the US, uh, Canada, Japan, uh, Australia, so basically the, the richest countries, and 87% of people who live elsewhere and who do not have uh, the same quality of life and the same quality of democratic institutions that we have in Europe, for example, or in the US. So uh, if you're a Belarusian, and you are not supporting the president, <laughs> uh, you can see your bank account closed from one day to another without anyone telling you why. If you're a Nigerian, uh, you cannot just easily go and buy anything on an online store with dollars because uh, it's difficult for you because uh, your central bank tries to limit all uh, dollar or other currency purchases. The same for Argentina. They have a huge inflation and the central bank is, have, is having the same response is to uh, limit the uh, dollar uh, purchases by the citizens, which means that citizens just are obliged to sit and watch their money losing uh, buying power from day to day. So. Uh, you have many things, many cases like this, many situations. And uh, when we people living in uh, France, in the European Union, on, or in the US, when we try to assess crypto, we always have to remember that. So let's deep, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. You spent half your life in France and half your life in the Ukraine, and Ukraine's going under some, you know, some fire right now. They're right in the middle of, of things with Russia. Um, and um, what is going on there? Um, what do you see the resolution being? And what's blockchain potentially's role in, in all of it? Oh, uh, blockchain is cool, but it's not magic. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, that there are very, very big forces in play, notably uh, between the US and Russia and Ukraine just happens to be in the middle, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, uh, the blockchain cannot help that now. Uh, that's the, the question of military and things like this. Uh, but it can help individual people make their lives uh, better. And Ukraine actually is one of the countries that uh, was one of the highest rate of crypto adoption weighted per uh, capita. And because, yes, because people understand that they don't have the trust in their institution, their financial institutions. And uh, when they learn about the possibility to have an independent money, they instantly get 
uh, absolutely charmed. <laughs> Even people who are very far from tech or very far from finance. Uh, so I like I have my cousin who is a dentist who has nothing to do absolutely whatsoever with finance. The moment she learned about the independent money, she was absolutely thrilled and she went on to buy it. <laughs> So uh, this is cool. And for Russia, actually, Bitcoin and blockchain uh, can also do many things, notably in uh, helping them, uh, helping individual people and businesses uh, access the world market. Because the sanctions that the US imposes on them, uh, these sanctions hurt mostly people, you know, they don't hurt the president himself. <laughs> They hurt people. So um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a politician. I don't want to discuss to which extent the, the sanctions are useful in sparing Ukraine or, you know, uh, making Mr. Putin hurt. But um, I think that when individual people get this liberty to, you know, to not be locked within their country because their president is attacking another country, this is a good thing. The same with Iran, actually, if we're speaking about sanctions. <laughs> Iran has sure. recently authorized crypto for, uh, authorized using crypto for international trade. And Iran uh, uh, has been living under the US sanctions for decades now. And uh, they are completely, I don't know, uh, it should be really uh, hard on people also to, you know, feel themselves separated from the world. And uh, I'm not a specialist of Iranian politics, but I also think I think it is a good thing that people can access the world because now they're not obliged to use the dollar, which is still the uh, global uh, reserve currency, but they have an independent money and this is great. I agree. Awesome. So um, let's go back to, you know, uh, why we need uh, blockchain. And um, I see three areas that I wanted to get your take. First is, and we've been talking about this, is banking for the unbanked or depending on where you live, unbanking the banked, right? Um, the second is a voice. What I do is voice for the voiceless. You know, how does crypto blockchain have a role in helping, you know, and from what you see in all the news you've analyzed and, and the encyclopedia you created, how is and what's the role of blockchain in a voice for the voiceless? Oh, that's so great. <laughs> um, first, blockchain for the unbanked is a great uh, use case because the uh, blockchain does not discriminate they it's accessible to everyone and everywhere and it's uh it's easy so uh, the el salvador is a good example since they uh, introduced the bitcoin law and the uh, crypto wallet the chiva wallet even if it has uh, had a couple of bumps along the road uh in just one month after its launch it uh it gave access to the financial system to more salvadorans than the banks could ever do for the destinies that they were present in El salvador 
So basically, uh, until now, I think uh, right now too, 70% of Salvadorans are unbanked, but it's like 70% of them are unbanked. So 30% have bank accounts. And right now over 70 have this Chivo wallet. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great opportunity for, uh, for the unbanked to access the, the world finance. And um, this great promise of the blockchain to give access to everyone and to not discriminate because it can, um, it can also be super uh, useless in giving the voice to the voiceless. Because now everyone can access the blockchain and uh, start to interact with others, meaning even uh, if you don't have a bank account, if you don't have a house to live in, but you have, uh, I don't know, some money to invest, I don't know why, but maybe it's a possibility, you can. And it's also a big possibility to reshuffle the um, financial powers of today. And I think uh, the, 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 the traditional you know, the, the banks, the uh, enormous asset managers and uh, like, you know, financial behemoths of this world, they need someone to challenge them. And uh, the blockchain is a very good tool to do it. Awesome. El Salvador, you said what, what it is the third, the third promise of blockchain. And this was this is going to tie into your 87 percent of the eastern world that's not you know uh that you know um people don't have the, the best accommodations is identity for the unidentified right how do you see blockchain playing a role there uh, this can have two uh approaches Because when you, there's one side of um, trying to bypass the, the the hardships imposed on you by your government, and uh, there's another one which is the access to the markets. Which one of these parts do you mean? Both. <laughs> Both. I just wanted to get um, your thoughts. I just wanted to get your your thoughts on. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you see being the most impactful. Okay. Actually, the thing about identity and blockchain that I consider most impactful is decentralized identity, which means that Traditionally, in most countries, there's a, an organization which is responsible of identifying you with uh, your name. So basically, the organization then gives you your passport. And many others who then go and say, okay, you are vaccinated, um, you have a house, and etc., etc. The blockchain uh, can do that as good as the any organization, but it is decentralized, which means that it's corruption proof. Uh, it is uh, data stealing proof. 
and 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 this is a big 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 change from what it from what uh, from what we have now. So corruption, of course, it's mostly for the eighty-seven uh, percent. Uh, but the data ownership is for everyone. It's for every single person on the earth. Meaning that if you have your data, if you have your identity on the blockchain, it not only means that it is immutable, so basically no one can change it, it also means that you have the keys to it and you are the only person who can access it and who can eventually uh, change it if you consider it needs change. And uh, this, this is actually a very uh, big direction in uh, blockchain development. It's called DID, Decentralized Identity. And uh, there was, was Microsoft, I think, who uh, started building last year a DID solution on Bitcoin blockchain. So this is a project worth following because it's a very interesting one. And the fact that there's a, a huge GAFAM company building something on Bitcoin, it speaks loads. So um, when you and I first talked a few weeks ago, it was the day that Tonga had um, an earthquake and a tsunami, right? And you yeah. said told uh, me that you were looking yes. you're looking at pictures of Tonga all day. And <laughs> I, I want to go there someday, right? Um, you know, how can how can you know um blockchain or crypto play a role in like small sovereign nations developing their own like wealth so they don't have to rely on humanitarian like NATO or UN or whatever, so they can build their own like El Salvador was doing. What do you see? possible i think that small nations are the vehicle the main vehicle for uh, crypto revolution in the world because they're small they don't have these huge bureaucratic apparatus uh, and these uh, you know, financial behemoths and uh, traditional industry lobbies waiting uh, on uh, on the politicians to do to keep the status quo and things like this they are small they can innovate like the El Salvador a very small country Tonga is a, even a smaller one but they as El Salvador uh, decided to uh, to get their financial independence but not by issuing their fiat money because fiat money well they have so many flows we see it right now but by accessing the borderless and independent and worldwide network, which is Bitcoin. And this is, uh, um, this is but for me, it's a very interesting move, even if uh, everyone is bashing Salvador's president right now. I think that uh, in the, even in the medium term, the advantages will be uh, obvious because El Salvador will not, uh, El Salvador didn't have any choice but to rely on the dollar. The dollar is being, as did the Tongans. The dollar uh, has been diluted very aggressively for the uh, last two, three years, uh, accelerating with the COVID, of course. But 
the native country of the dollar, which is the US, tries to give something to the people too, which means that a lot of money goes, of course, to the corporations and to the, the friends of the Fed uh, via the uh, quantitative easing. But you have also these this famous stimulus checks. So some you know, penny of all this uh, trillion uh, printing extravaganza, some pennies, some cents go to the pockets of the Americans. They don't go to the pockets of El Salvadorans, although they also use uh, the dollar, as do so many other countries who, either small countries who don't have their national uh, currency, or everyone else who keeps dollars in their reserves. So, uh, in this in this case, having an alternative means of payment and means of uh, investment, means of keeping value, is uh, is very important. And also for the small countries, uh, it's uh, who are pioneer to uh, accept Bitcoin. It's a very good way to attract the crypto businesses because it's a high brain power, high value added industry, uh, which can be conducted from anywhere. I'm not speaking about mining. I'm speaking about the developing. So uh, the uh, El Salvador, I think they already started seeing the fruits and they have very many plans for the future. Bitcoin city, if you heard of it, uh, and maybe for Tongans, it will be also a possibility to uh, to become a small crypto hub attracting digital nomads who will come there and create value on their soil. Be awesome. That'll be awesome. So, um, yeah. So I have I have two last questions. One is this: um, What does what does freedom look like to you? <laughs> Oh, that's a big one. Um, being responsible for my actions and being uh, the only person responsible for my actions. Do not rely on uh, others. And uh, okay, I think it, it's kind of a, it's a bit restraining notion of freedom. <laughs> Because it's mostly about liability, uh, but uh, do not. Okay, I will reformulate it. Do not depend on others, uh, on important uh, things in my life. I don't know if it makes sense. <laughs> I try it to does. be as large as possible. <laughs> it does. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I've enjoyed speaking with you uh, today. It's been a great conversation. Um, I do have one final question is this, um, how can people find out more information about you, about Decenter, um, and may, maybe pronounce your name correctly? Um, <laughs> how, can they, how can they do that? <laughs> how can they find you and well, reach out to you if they want? Decenter is very easy. You just type d.center, and that's all. That's the website. And um, we are present on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, but frankly, I think I've, I've been most active on LinkedIn. So you go to these networks, you tap D.center, or if 
by any chance you understood my surname, <laughs> you can search for me too. And I'm also happy to, uh, I'm always happy to engage with uh, people who want to learn about crypto. And actually I'm, uh, I'm spending way too much time right now on social networks on LinkedIn in particular, because there's so many people who just, you know, uh, outreach to me and saying, okay, uh, please write about this one, please uh, explain this and this. And there are loads of people who just want to learn about this. And it, uh, well, it makes me very optimistic as to the uh, outlook of all this crypto story. The crypto adoption, it grows strong, it continues and um, it will change our world. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much, Emil.